0: Villa's Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Well, before we get into James this morning, works of faith, and I don't know about you, I was telling Hope this morning, it has been rewarding to go through James each and every week and then be able to stand before you on a Sunday morning. I'm sure Pastor Jared feels the same and just unleash what I learned this week from James. And we're going to do that. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to come together this morning in worship. You are an amazing God. And I just pray that we can be a church that shares our faith in you with others. I pray that you use us to bring others to a saving faith in you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray these prayers. Amen. Don't read into this too much, but from April 2014 to 2016, this is what the water looked like in Flint, Michigan. Now, I'm sure some of you heard about what happened in Flint, But in 2014 and 2016, the city of Flint decided to change course. They decided to change direction. They were taking their water, their supply, their source came from Detroit, Michigan, and they decided to forego that former source that they once had for their water, and then they decided to start taking water out of the Flint River. This is what you get when that happens. This was the end result of changing their water source. Does that look like the type of water that you'd want to drink? I mean, even if you were as parched as parched could be, would you want to drink that water that is colored, I don't know, copper, colored golden? 10,000 people were exposed to lead This catastrophe killed at least 12 people and sickened many more. Basically what happened was when they switched over to the water source of being from the Flint River, the pipes corroded in this transition and it just leaked all types of contaminants into the water Lead would have been probably the most poisonous of the contaminants, but for those of you wondering how a city goes about purifying their water, because let's face it, if a city doesn't purify their water, this is going to be the end result. It basically kind of works like this. It starts with a water treatment plant, where chemicals get added. Then it goes through a process of coagulation and fluctuation, or actually it's flocculation. Let me me get that straight. And then it moves through sedimentation and filtration. Then it's disinfected through this process that it goes through. And then by the time it goes through all these different stages, it finally makes its way into your home. And this is when we know that water is successfully purified. Because you can't just take water from anywhere and drink it. Let's face it, we have to purify the water before we can take it into our bodies because purified water gets rid of all these dissolved particles, it gets rid of germs, it gets rid of dust, it gets rid of unwanted chemicals that you don't want in the water, parasites are even removed from the water, bacteria is removed, and all types of other viruses. Brothers and sisters, God has done something similar to us, Our hearts underwent a purification process. In fact, we're still in need to do as the text is going to tell us this morning. And the text is very clear when it says, Purify our hearts and draw near to God. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, which is Purify Your Heart. Purify your heart. Today we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 through 12. But before we continue into James this morning and continue on in chapter 4, we can't forget about last week and what we learned. Because James alerted us in that the enemies of God choose ambition, they choose reputation, and they choose success over God's grace. Basically, the enemies of God choose themselves over God Himself. We recognize that the passions of our flesh, well, those passions, they have a tendency to lead us into murder. Today, we're going to be encouraged to draw near to God. We're going to be encouraged to be wretched, mourn, and weep. Over our sinfulness. Yes, that's right. When we see that in the text this morning, God's word is telling us to be wretched. God's word is telling us to mourn and weep over our sinfulness. Ultimately, you're going to be encouraged today, though, to purify your heart, the namesake of our title this morning. So, without any more being said, we're jumping into this text. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you you are not a doer of the law, but are a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? As we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into a sentence that defines everything that's being stated here by James this morning. And that sentence actually looks just like this. We would say, in order to summarize these verses, that it is necessary to purify your heart through repentance for the sake of the lawgiver's love. Now, not all of that's going to make sense, but by the time we're done this morning, that should make sense. Perfect sense to you. It should make perfect sense to purify your heart through repentance for the sake of the lawgiver's love. Now, before we continue, we need to redefine repentance because sometimes it's just good to go over a term again. But to repent means to acknowledge your sin, turn away from your sin, and turn back towards God. And that's exactly what we're going to be encouraged to do this morning in the text. But first things first. We must first, as it says in our text this morning, starting in verse 7, we must first submit to God. See, submission is a matter of will. Therefore, we submit to God because His will is perfect. See, we submit to God. You know why we submit to God? Because we should understand that our will is imperfect. All while knowing this, it just highlights the fact of who God is. If He wasn't perfect, there wouldn't be the motivation to want to submit to Him in the first place. And if we do so, we'll have an attitude in life, and this is really what it looks like attitude-wise, to submit to the Lord. You may say this from time to time. You might talk to the Lord in prayer and say, I don't understand why why you are allowing this. And you can fill in the blank in your life or whatever it is that the Lord's allowing to happen to you, and it's probably something that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable or maybe something that's going on in your life where you just don't quite have the answer to yet, but you're going to have that attitude that says, I don't understand why you are allowing this, but I will submit to you anyway. That's what it looks like to submit to the Lord when we're willing to do so no matter what. Brothers and sisters, it's God, not us. That knows what's actually best. We think we know what's best for us, but really God is the one who knows what's best for us. So therefore, when it's all said and done, it's really our pride that's the problem. If you want to trace back the problem of all your sin, you can attach it and associate it to your pride. Last week, we ended verse 6. What did it say? It said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That was the last thing said last week in verse 6, and now we're here in verse 7, and James is staying on course. He's staying on topic because our eternal relationship with the Lord is by His grace to begin with. And if it wasn't for grace, our pride could never be penetrated. That's how proud we truly are. So I believe it's wise for us to take note then at this point going forward, of James' sequence. The sequence of events that he's laying out, starting here in verse 7. So what do we see here? We must first do what? We must first submit to God, and we must first submit to God before, as it says, the devil will resist, or we resist the devil. We can't even begin to resist the devil until we first have submitted to God. But then next, what happens Then he will flee from you only after we have submitted to God. So everything's prefaced, everything's based upon submitting to God. And by his grace, if you draw near to God, what does it say here? He will draw near to you. Now, I I get it. That sounds great. But some of you are asking the question how do I actually draw near to God? What is it that I have to do in my life to be able to draw near to God? Well, there's there's really three areas that I think we could do, each and every one of us, in a general sense. And first, the the first way that we can draw near to God is through prayer. So the question we, we could ask ourselves, or I could ask you right now, are you constant and consistent in your communication with the Lord? Are you constantly and consistently communicating with Him? Now, another way in which we can draw near to the Lord is through worship. So the next question we can ask ourselves, are we responding appropriately to who the Lord has revealed Himself to be. Because that's what worship is. Worship defined is when we respond appropriately to God and His holiness. God has revealed Himself as being holy all throughout Scripture. So it's our job then when we worship Him, whether we are singing songs or we are listening to His word proclaimed, we are responding appropriately to His holiness. And again, we're going to go ahead and say it just to remind you, repentance has everything to do with God's holiness. We only repent from our sin because we understand that God has set the standard for what is perfect over here, but yet we find ourselves heading in this direction. Repent and return to God. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. And thirdly, the other and final thing that we could do in order to draw near to God. And this one's simple. You should already know this one. Read your Bible. That is the most simple thing that we can possibly do. So the question you can ask yourself, or the question I'll ask you again, are you reading your Bible? If you're not reading your Bible, hmm... How can you actually draw near to God? If you don't know God's Word, how can you draw near to God? So if you don't know the Gospel, what good is it anyway? You can't share your faith. Then you're just Christian in name only. But this letter, like all letters of the New Testament, are written to believers. That's why when we preach, we preach to believers. This sermon this morning wasn't orchestrated in such a manner that it was going to be prepared for a non-believer. No, this was written and prepared for a believer because James wrote his letter and prepared his letter for believers as well. When we find ourselves drawing near to God, we witness Him coming to our every need, every hour of every minute of every single day. And that's why you can have that attitude. That attitude that says, in prayer, Lord, I don't know why it is that you're allowing this, whatever it is, fill in the blank, to happen to me right now. But no matter what, I will submit to your will. But we must understand something. See, because even in James' sequence of events, God is not waiting for us to make the first move. And that's where we could get it mistaken. If we think that God's just sitting back and waiting for us to make that first move, we're wrong, and then again, let's say we're guilty of not participating in that third thing that we mentioned, right? Reading your Bible. Because we know that the Lord tells us, Jesus himself says in John chapter 6, verse 44, I'm just going to read it for you. He says, no one can come to, the, uh, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. However, He only draws those who know their sinfulness. It isn't until you come to the realization that you are a born sinner. It isn't until you realize that you are sinful in and of yourself. That is what it takes to realize that you have faith, that it is by God's grace that you're saved for all of eternity. God draws those who know that in their heart to Him. He makes the first move. We don't make the first move. We don't know exactly how this looks. We don't know exactly how it's always going to work. But what we do know is this. We should be thankful. Thankful that His grace has exposed our sinfulness to us. Not for us to sit back and say, woe is we, look at me, I'm this awful, wretched person. No. No. It's by His grace that I understand His holiness. Why would I want to draw near to anything less? Because God's holiness is something that we can't find anywhere else other than Him. There is no experience on this earth. There is nothing that we could ever do here on our own to experience the holiness of God. It is by Him and Him alone. Salvation is by His work. And that's what makes us Christians. Because we rely upon the work of Jesus and not ourselves. But what do we want to do every single time? We want to go back and submit to our own will because we are so proud. His grace has penetrated our pride. So what is God's holiness Because I think that's something that we always get mistaken as well. There's a lot of people who would tell you that God is love. Well, God is love, but then they say that's it. But they base that upon their definition of love. God is first and foremost holy. All His other attributes, including His love, come from His holiness, but He only loves perfectly because He's first and foremost holy. His mercy comes from His holiness. Every attribute of God comes from the fact that He is holy. Which is why the text is telling us right here this morning, what does it say? Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Why? Because our God is a holy God. John 4, verse 10. Let me read this for you. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him. And He would have given you living life water. See, living water is new life in the Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit living within us, right? James has already set that tone in chapter 3. See, it's eternal salvation through faith in Jesus. That's what's important. None of this, when it's all said and done, is going to matter. None of it. This is no 2014, 2016, Flint, Michigan, living water that we're talking about here no we're talking about pure living water that's why we're being told today to cleanse our hands repent repent cleanse your hands and purify your hearts through the only purification system that can purify your heart and that is the holiness of God and because of this new life Brothers and sisters, our hearts underwent that purification process. God prepared our hearts to put His Holy Spirit in. This is the eternal freedom from the contaminants of sin that have been purified and filtered out. However, this is not temporal freedom, and we can't forget that. This is not temporal freedom from the contaminants of sin. No, this is the eternal freedom from the contaminants of sin. What did Mike share with us this morning? It's those moments in God's grace where you go back. But over and over again, what does God do? He purifies us if we repent and turn back towards Him. If we draw near to Him, He's drawing near to us. But, you know, in our sinfulness, we mistakenly think that, you know, we made the first move. No, we didn't. God went to the cross because of His grace far before any one of us here were ever born he made the first move therefore cleanse your hands and purify your hearts do you know how this is this is achieved now we've already established that it's achieved through repenting right but it's achieved through constant repentance consistent repentance too many people think that christians are hypocrites they're right But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Well, it is if you don't repent. Now, we're not sitting here saying that we have it all figured out that we don't sin. Of course we sin. As long as we're living in this flesh suit, in this temporal life, we will sin. We are sinners. We are sinning. But it's... The consistent and constant repentance that makes us followers of Christ. That's how we draw near to God as he draws near to us. It's much easier to repent when we, as it says here, what does it say? Be wretched and mourn and weep over your sin. See, James is telling us to be wretched. He's telling us to mourn over our sin. When we let our laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom, as it says, over our sin, it's much easier to repent. Brothers and sisters, mourn over your sin, but what you shouldn't do, and this is the problem that most of us have and the mistake that we make, we don't mourn over our sin. What we do is we mourn over our suffering. We're being told to mourn over our sin, not our suffering. You can mourn over your sin, repent from your sin, but still suffer because of that sin. And that's okay. Because as we said, this isn't a filtration process from the temporal contaminants of sin. No. This is the filtration process from the eternal contaminants of sin. Which, last time I checked, it's always been this way. The eternal contaminants of sin, the consequences of our sin eternally, is Death. But that's why we preach Jesus, him crucified and resurrected, because that act that he did for once for all of humanity is what conquered death. I think also, too, as we continue in this text, though we in some of these things we're speaking on, we must remember what Pharaoh said. Do you remember what, what Pharaoh said? Because really, when Moses was, was with Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh really say? He said, take away the plague, all while never thinking of the plague in his own heart. And we can't make that same mistake. We can't just go to God to take away the plagues in our life, but then neglect the plague in our own hearts. I don't think James would be hammering in on this repentance of our sin. I don't think he'd be hammering in on cleanse your hands and purify your hearts if that's what the gospel was all about. We must remember what uh, Psalm 51.3 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And as it says in verse 10, what does it say in verse 10 here? Humble yourself before the Lord. The consistent theme all throughout Scripture the Bible is very consistent. Therefore, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Let's just say it like this. Repent, repent, repent. And this brings us to our first point this morning. And that point states this. Those who know God's holiness are constant and consistent in repentance. Those who know God's holiness are constant and consistent in repentance, those who know that God's holiness is the reason why he was showing us and extending us the grace that he did to penetrate our pride, which got to the root of our sin, so he could be in a forever eternal relationship with us. And he has deposited his own spirit in our hearts. He has cleaned out our hearts and is still cleaning our hearts through our repentance and his work for his spirit to take up residency. Again, our main idea this morning states this, half of this should make sense at this point. Purify your heart through repentance, that part should make sense already. But now we're going to get into the second half where it says, for the sake of the lawgiver's love. Now let's make some sense of that. But before we do so, I just want to share this little fact about these medieval monks. They actually were credited to compiling a list of the seven deadly sins. These sins listed by these monks were lust, gluttony, pride, sloth, wrath, greed, and envy. Hmm. Interesting, this is the same list that people think is in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, there is no list of seven deadly sins in the Bible. Things that people think are in the Bible but aren't necessarily labeled in the Bible. But furthermore, that's not really what's important. It seems as though we're missing a sin from this list. That's not an exhaustive list. There's something missing. Oh, that's right. The sin of slander, AKA the sin of gossip. And in verses 11 and 12, we're being warned not to speak evil, as it says, and judge. See, slander is widespread among us, but it's widespread because it's so easy to commit. See, earlier in chapter 3, we were encouraged to tame our tongues. James compared the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse. you remember that? We talked about this big, strong horse, and James said the tongue is so powerful, it's just like putting a tiny little bit into the mouth of a horse, and that big, powerful horse could be directed wherever the owner wants that horse to go. James also compared... The tongue to a rudder on a large ship. Such a small rudder controls such a large ship. James also had this to say about the tongue in chapter 4. I just want to read these for you. We went over this in chapter 4 a few Sundays ago, but I want to refresh your memory on it. He said, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Oh, that sounds so similar to verse 11. We have an issues. Can we get verse 11 up for everybody to see? You see where it says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Again, we see consistency from the Old Testament to the New Testament, so you better believe we're going to see consistency from James right here in chapter 4. See, slander is the same as hoisting yourself above God's law. Slander is to believe that you're actually above God's law. (laughs) The law doesn't pertain to me. God's law, and this is something that we cannot forget, God's law is rooted in love. When Jesus was asked which is the greatest commandment, In Mark 12, he responded by saying, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Brothers and sisters, don't commit the sin of slander. Don't commit the sin of thinking you are above God's law. God's law is rooted in love. So as Joe comes up and and joins me, and we prepare to wrap up this morning, those on par, those on the level playing field with our adversary, those who actually partner with Satan, believe that there is more than one lawgiver and judge. They believe that there are multiple because they in and of themselves, just like Satan, think that they are the lawgiver. They think that they are the judge. See, our adversary believes that he is above God's law. He believes he is above this, and he did this because he slandered our Lord himself. He slandered our Lord and Savior in Isaiah 14. And if we're slandering somebody else, we're doing the exact same thing. Satan slandered God by five simple I wills. And this is what Satan said as recorded by Isaiah. He said, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Brothers and sisters, this is the same desire that you had This is the same desire that I had. This is the same desire that we were all born into. That's why we're being asked to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Because without God's grace penetrating our pride, we would want to make ourselves God. So purify your heart with living water, draw near to God because you know your sinfulness, because after all, God is not waiting for us to make the first move, He already has. And in His infinite love, He draws us to Him. What an amazing God. Every other religion of the world says the exact opposite. The exact opposite. I don't care if, if it's Catholicism, Mormonism, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam. You can go down the list. Every other religion of the world says, I do something to please the deity, then the deity is therefore pleased with me and my work. Christianity says, I made the first move because I love you. God gave us His law in that love. And that's why we're being asked not to slander and gossip, and backbite, because when we do so, we're making ourselves the lawgiver. We're saying the exact same thing, those five I wills that Satan himself said. And this brings us to our second point. Those who refrain from slander know that God's law is love. Because what did Jesus say? Love God. And love others. When he was challenged. When he was challenged. On the law himself. He let them know that it comes down to love. Those who refrain from slander. Know that God's law is love. And we can't forget that James also just. A few verses back. Reminded us. Even if we do slander somebody else. We're really slandering God. Why? Because. The person we're slandering was made in God's image. Again, our first point said this, those who know God's holiness are constant and consistent in their repentance. A believer will spend the rest of this natural life learning how to repent. If you think that you've arrived, you are mistaken. We won't stop learning until our death or until Jesus returns. And finally, again, our main idea Stated, purify your heart through repentance for the sake of the lawgiver's love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue this week, I just pray that we can be challenged from our worship this morning. I pray that we can be used in a way to impact others for the sake of your gospel message. Lord, use us to be seen, drawing near to you and you near to us so others can observe that relationship and see the eternal significance of such. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.